Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging objective truth. Here's the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton. Thank you, Suzanne. Today on Core Principles, I'm honored to welcome the president of Epic Ministries International, Michael Nelson. How are you, Mike? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you, Clay? Doing very well, thank you. EPIC, I understand, stands for Equipping Pastors, Planting Indigenous Churches. And on your website, you mentioned that you started EPIC in 2014. Could you please give our listeners some background on yourself and your own journey that led you to where you are now in this ministry? Sure, I'd be glad to. Um, Well, first of all, I got saved when I was 33 years old. Um, I was uh, attending grad school at the University of Memphis. Uh, the Army had sent me there. I was still active duty Army at the time. Cool. And that's when the Lord got a hold of my heart. And, uh, and then I finished my military career and went off to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, where I walked the hollow halls there for four years, working on an MDiv with biblical languages. And uh, pastored um, a church in Irving, and after I graduated, I was called to Northridge Baptist Church in Richardson, Texas, where I was pastoring full-time. About three years into that pastorate, I got asked by the local director of missions for the Southern Baptist you know, um, county there that we lived in to serve on the missions committee, and I said, sure, you know, because I was active in local missions in my church, and uh, so I was attending a missions conference at First Baptist Euclid in uh, Texas, a big church, well, probably the biggest church in our association. And um, their missions pastor uh, stood up and offered a free scholarship to any of the pastors that were at that meeting to go with the mission trip. I've never been on an international mission trip before. I mean, I've been told, you know, that they're life changing and, um, all that, but I'd never had an opportunity to go. I mean, as a pastor, I was broke all the time anyway. And, you know, as a father and a pastor and a husband, I didn't have, didn't think I had time or the money to go, but uh, they took away all the money. So I went to my church and asked my leadership permission to go. I said, you know, it's the only thing that's going to cost us is for me to be away from the pulpit a couple of weeks. And they said, sure, go. So in September of 2010, I got on a plane headed to Kigoma, Tanzania. I'd never been to Africa before. I didn't have a clue what to expect. I just knew God had opened this door for me, Clay, so I walked through it. And it was literally life-altering. I, I got sent to a Muslim village. I guess because I was a pastor, they thought he could handle it, so they sent me out to the Muslim village. I mean, it was 99.8% Muslim the place where we were planting the new church, um, the guy who had opened his home and invited us to come to his village was the, the I'm going to say ex, the ex-chief witch doctor of the village and um, an ex-Muslim. And about six months, six, nine months before we came, uh, Fabian had gotten sick. And so he went to the witch doctors, uh, he went to his other witch doctors there in the village and they did their hocus pocus and couldn't do anything for him. He went to the imam at the mosque and uh, imam prayed for him, but nothing happened. So he went down to Kigoma town, which was about, you know, 40 minutes away. 
and uh, walked into an evangelical church. And the elders of that church anointed him and laid hands on him and prayed over him as the Bible commands us to do. And God healed him right there on the spot. So he said, this is the God I'm going to serve the rest of my life. You must bring this God to my village. So he opened up his home and that's where we, we were planting a church. And so for, I was there for five days, I believe, um, uh, working with him. And of course he took me to all of his other witch doctor buddies because he wanted them to experience the same thing he'd experienced. So, I mean, we were literally seeing hundreds and hundreds of people come to Christ. Uh, we had three other witch doctors get saved. We had people every, every day we had a burning party, um, a discipleship training, just like you read about in the book of Acts. Uh, people were bringing their potions and uh, the stuff that the witch doctors had given them, and we would cast it into the fire as a testimony of their faith in Christ, and it was amazing. But as I was walking from hut to hut, tree to tree every day, witnessing to the people um, you know, that we came in contact with, sharing the gospel with them and inviting them to come to discipleship training. As we would walk from encounter to encounter, I would ask the local leaders there some very simple theological questions. What does the Bible say about this? What do you believe about this? And unfortunately, I didn't get the answers that I was hoping to hear. These, these leaders were literally biblically ignorant. So God brought me under a major conviction, just a overwhelming conviction. He said, Mike, I didn't send you 10,000 miles to make converts. I sent you here to make disciples. So if you can't stay here and disciple these new believers, then you better train these pastors and equip them to be able to do that. So I worked with, um, I began to work with the organization that I had gone with. I won't mention their name. It's not important, but um, I tried to work with them to get them to put more emphasis on equipping the pastors and preparing them before we planted the churches so that these churches would have trained leaders to disciple them. But they weren't really interested in that. They were just focused on the evangelism part of it. And they did very well at that. I mean, they had a good system in place and the evangelism part worked well, but there was no discipleship. There was no uh, prior training of the of the leaders to disciple the new believers. Um, there was no accountability. There was no follow-up. I went on three mission trips with that organization, and I can't tell you the status of any of those churches because they had no mechanism to, to track them and follow them up. So, um, so I, I, I decided that, you know, I couldn't work with them anymore if they weren't going to, you know, change the way they work that way. But God would not let me of this passion and this burden that he put on me. So I decided to step down from the full-time pastorate and start Epic Ministries. So I took the good parts of what this other evangelism part of it, and I incorporated with that a whole bunch of training on the front end to prepare these pastors. And we've, um, we now give our pastors 185 hours of training before we plant the church with them. I can go into more detail about that if you'd like. And, but then we also, um, they enter into a covenant with us where they voluntarily put themselves under our um, supervision and our accountability for 24 months. So we track every church that we plant for 24 months. We get a monthly report on the status of those churches, which I've used to update my website. Uh, 
um, the numbers on my website, but I also send out that report to every missionary that goes on one of my trips. Those missionaries receive 24 months worth of reports on the churches that they helped me plant, that they helped plant when they went on that journey. And then at the end of that two-year cycle, we go back and visit that location for a final time and get a final report on those churches. And that's when we find out if those churches have planted any second-generation churches. Because when we go on an epic journey, we're planting first-generation churches. But we're hoping, and our goal is, for those churches to grow to the point that they're able to reproduce themselves and plant second-generation churches. And that's when we go back at the end of the two-year cycle that we follow that up and get a report on on if any of those second-generation churches have been planted. I wondered, uh, you mentioned there are other organizations out there doing different elements of the Great Commission and the, the charge that we have to share the gospel. Uh, and you mentioned the evangelism piece of it and your part of the church planning and the discipleship. And I know they all go together. Uh, I wanted to find out, Mike, do you find in your experience that uh, a lot of these organizations do work together synergistically or are they in uh, little isolated pockets? Is there cross communication? Not everybody has the same part of the overall task to do, but it would be really good if they're at least working in concert rather than discordantly. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, it's the it's the latter, not the former play. Um, and that's why I started Epic Ministries. I could not convince this other organization to, um, you know, to modify their process to where they would, uh, you know, build in the, uh, the doctrinal unity, the accountability, and the discipleship piece of it. And... Um, you know, if you go over there and you just lead someone to Christ, it's like giving birth to a new baby. You don't just leave a baby on the side of the road and let it fend for itself, you know? So these new babes in Christ have to be discipled. And there's got to be a mechanism, a church mechanism for them to fit into that they, and that church needs to have trained leaders that know the Bible and can teach them the Bible. Because if the leaders don't know the Bible, you got the blind lead the blind, okay? And it's not going to take the devil long to bring doctrinal inaccuracy and heresy into that church. And now what you end up with is a church that's not a true church, that's spreading false teaching instead of biblical teaching, and you've done more harm than you've done good. So, yeah, unfortunately, it's not the case that they um, that, that there's a lot of working together like that. There's also, of course, a great big wide world out there with billions of people uh, needing to hear the truth and the good news and then needing mentors and disciples to walk along with them and needing a community of believers to get plugged into. Do you have specific geographic focus areas? I know you've been in Zambia and you mentioned uh, some places you've been, but are you spread out in a lot of places or in one specific type or area? Well, I started working in Tanzania and I spent, um, I did 11 campaigns in Tanzania and, and started 198 churches there over a um, six year period, five and a half to six year period. Um, and then God opened the door for us to go to Zambia. And we've been working in Zambia. Um, we've done two campaigns now in Zambia. 
we just got back from a campaign um, in March. Um, and, and, and by the way, well, if your audience realizes it, but the foundation that you're a part of is key in helping us do this work. We wouldn't be able to do it without you. Um, and we just got back from a campaign in in, Feb in March, and we're planning to go back to Zambia for our third campaign in June. Um, but we are willing and able to go into any country that any church wants to get involved in. Um, we're always looking for churches that want to partner with us. One of the reasons I created Epic Ministries was to give especially small and medium-sized churches that don't have the staff to plan and coordinate their own mission trips because it's a pretty intense process to, to put all this together and the whole the model and the discipleship plan and the whole nine yards, uh, not to mention just coordinating all the logistics that go behind one of these trips. It's a it's a it's a pretty intensive process, but in a lot of these smaller and medium-sized churches, they don't have the staff uh, to do that. And, and if they do it, they just have to take on extra work with the staff they have. So one of the, one of the goals of Epic Ministries is to come alongside these churches and be that resource for them where they can just plug into what we're doing um, and send people or raise a team and we will do all that logistical work for them and we're willing and able to go into any country that god has put on a church's heart to go to um it's for example if a church wanted to go to somewhere in south central america we could easily take at the model of epic ministries and implement it in any open country now if it's a closed country where you cannot do open air evangelism, you can't do you know hut to hut treated evangelism. We would have to modify the way we do things a little bit, but we could still get the work done by using the local nationals to do the actual evangelism. But we could still do all the training and the preparation and uh, getting them ready to go do that, and then supporting them and and then monitoring and tracking the results of that. So we'd have to modify our process a little bit in a in a closed country, but in any open country where you know anybody can walk down the street and share the gospel without fear of being arrested, we could take the model that we're using now and implement it. Um, it would take a little bit of prep work because we have to identify a leader in that country that we're going to work with that's going to help us, somebody you know that we can trust, and somebody that feels a calling from God to do this kind of work. Um, so take a little bit of effort to find that local leader that's going to partner, you know, be my guy on the ground there for Epic. But we could certainly do it. No problem. Now, when you talk about the closed versus the open countries, uh, you mentioned that in some places you get arrested for doing what you do. And there are other places where you get killed for doing what you're doing. Ho hopefully those are not the kind of challenges that any of the epic missions are facing, but I know that there are challenges regardless, whether it's logistical or communications or any of those things. What are the greatest challenges that you've encountered, Mike, on your epic missions? Um, well, from a logistical point of view, our greatest challenge is transportation, is, is getting over there, um, just trying to find... Uh, reasonably priced airfare that that you can get a team over there on i mean almost half of our trip cost is just the airfare to get somebody to africa uh, it's just very expensive that's what i've been i've been 
for the last three days, I've been working, trying to find the airfare for this June trip. It's it's just a challenge. And that reminds me of something uh, valuable for this kind of uh, evangelism and church planning and discipleship, which uh, my pastor's often saying, uh, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. So it's probably a really good uh, introductory to say, you know, we're here for your benefit and here's some of the things we want to do to benefit you. But the biggest benefit is to share the truth of the gospel. And here's that too. Uh, do you find that that is the way you received uh, is that the people first decide to, to receive you because they know that you, you do care about them? Yes, Clay. The first indication that we care is the fact that we're there. For many, many times, like in this last trip, uh, one of my mission points, um, we were at a place where I was the first white person that some of these, these people have never seen, okay? And it's mind-boggling to them that we would travel, you know, uh, 10,000 miles, 16,000 kilometers to come to their share this amazing message with them. Just the fact that we're there is awe-inspiring to them. They, they... It just is amazing that, I mean, I think it sinks into them to realize that, man, God must really love me if he sent this person all the way from America to my home to tell me this great message, okay? Doesn't cost anything. They're not asking for any money. They're not, they're not trying to get anything from me. They're here giving me a free gift. Um, and, and that's really the way I have been received everywhere that I've gone so far in Tanzania and in Zambia, just the fact that we're there, um, it is amazing to them that, that somebody would love them that much. That is instructive and, uh, meaningful. Uh, I think there's a lot of different ways those things can happen. I was talking with someone who runs similar, uh, church planting in, south and central america and uh under covid they were curtailed a lot but what they found that they could do in some of the countries was a food ministry because those countries were experiencing uh famines really and they were able to bring in food and present the gospel otherwise they weren't allowed to move around because everybody was locked down and so they used that opportunity to be able to move around only when they were giving out food that as soon as they got to a house, uh, they would introduce themselves and say, you know, God motivated us to bring this to you. And there was an atheist who had been praying uh, in this village like, okay, I don't think you're out there, God, but if you are, my family and I are starving, prove yourself or I'm going to kill my wife, my kid and myself and knock, knock, uh, God told us to bring you this bag of food. And obviously his life was changed forever. So you never know how those things will work out, but, uh, it's incredible what God can do. Exactly. Well, what, uh, looking ahead are some of the goals that you have for Epic Ministries International? Well, my, obviously, um, I would love to have Epic having an impact on every continent on the earth. Um, well, maybe except Antarctica. Okay. I don't think there's enough people there in Antarctica for us to really go, but 
but from the rest of the continents anyway, I, I would love to have uh, an epic presence, um, in, uh, you know, in South America and Central America and, and in Africa as well as India, um, Asia. Uh, I constantly get inundated with requests from pastors and other people um, all around the world asking me to please bring epic ministries to their to their country. And it just comes down to a financial resources issue, Clay. I mean, you know, we can't, we can only do what we can resource God has provided. And we, 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 uh, we operate on a shoestring budget as it is. It's amazing the, um, you know, what we're able to do with the fund. I, I was telling somebody today, and, and when I, I throw these numbers out there, a lot of people can't grasp this, but, um, give you an example what we do uh my my cost for church plant right now is let me find uh um, church planted cost for church my my cop my, my and this is including all my overhead okay i took the three years of 19 2019 20 and 21 and my average cost for a church plant is $2,413 a church plant. Wow. And that includes all the training and all the, we, we provide at church. Um, a, a similar organization, I, I, I won't necessarily say their name, but uh, from the denomination that I'm a part of, okay, when you look at their 2020 budget, and the number of churches they planted, their cost for church plant is thirteen thousand eight hundred ninety. Okay, so you're looking at fourteen thousand versus twenty four hundred. Um, our cost of conversion to, to convert one person to lead one person to Christ costs us on average seventeen dollars and thirty nine cents a person. Okay, and that's with all of our overhead. Um, the same organization, it's seventeen thousand. One sorry, one thousand seven hundred sixty-eight dollars and ninety-six cents. So, almost eighteen hundred dollars to convert one person, versus we're doing it for under eighteen dollars a person um, conversion. So, I mean, we we already operate uh, on a budget. It's amazing what God has used us to do. But um, you know, I would love to bring on more team leaders and. Take Epic into more countries, into more continents. Uh, it's just a matter of finding the people that want to do the work, are willing to do the work, called of God to do the work, and and more organizations like the Carson Meyer Foundation that are willing to help sponsor it and and fund it. Um, you know, the Great Commission's expensive. It, it costs money to take the gospel around the world. It's not a cheap proposition. All right. Well. Uh, thank you so much, Michael Nelson, president of Epic Ministries International. It's been an honor to speak with you today. God bless you. Thank you, Clay. God bless you. Thank you for, for letting me be on. And if I could encourage you, um, I don't know if you knew, but this last trip we just came back from, um, in six days, God allowed us to share the gospel with 19,247 people. We had 12,590 people prayed to receive Christ. We had 6,319 people attend discipleship training. We planted 20 new churches and trained 42 pastors. 
and we handed out 6,000 New Testaments uh, to those believers, uh, to those new believers. So um, that's what God allowed us to achieve on this last trip. We also clothed 680 children, I believe, and handed out 576 pairs of reading glasses um, on that trip. So it was um, it was the most successful, productive campaign we've ever had as a ministry. And uh, it was amazing that we did it with the smallest team. So God, God was God was teaching us all a lesson. You know, you can take the smallest of sacrifices and create the greatest of bounties from it. You bet. Well, it's good to see you, Mike, and have a great day. Thank you, Clay. God bless you. Core Principles Podcast is produced in Paducah, Kentucky by Real Productions. Music is by Late July, L-E-I-G-H-T July. You can find our music on all streaming services or at latejuly.com. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Core Principles Podcast. Please visit core.buzzsprout.com for more information. And please share with your friends. We look forward to visiting with you again on our next episode.